Welcome to Never Just a Dog. I'm your host, John Littlefair, and it is with great pleasure to welcome a true icon to the podcast today. In this rare and exclusive interview, our guest is none other than Australian Rules football cult hero, Mark Zanotti. Throughout his illustrious career in Australian Rules football, Mark Zanotti captured the imagination of fans with his exceptional skill, agility, and unmatched running style. His electrifying presence on the field made him a true cult hero, leaving spectators in awe of his ability to manoeuvre effortlessly and create moments of pure magic. Beyond the realm of football, Marcus discovered another passion, creating music. Through his heartfelt lyrics and soulful melodies, he has crafted a unique and captivating sound that resonates with audiences far and wide. His music reflects his personal experiences emotions and the stories that have shaped his life. However, life is a way of presenting challenges that test our strength and resilience. Mark's partner is bravely battling a significant and life-threatening illness, and in this conversation, he'll open up about the impact it has had on both of their lives. Mark will share the profound love, support and inspiration that has emerged from this difficult journey, reminding us of the resilience of the human spirit and the power of love in the face of adversity. With his honesty, vulnerability, and the incredible spirit, Mark is a guest like no other. This is a conversation that will leave you inspired, moved, and grateful for the incredible journeys we undertake in life. So awesome to be able to chat to you today, Mark. Yeah, great to talk to you, mate. And right on cue, who's that barking in the background? Yeah, it was actually. Mate, I've got Evie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Evie's been rehearsing all week. <laughs> but still going. Oh, Evie's a legend, mate. It's, not, it's nothing better than having a dog at home, actually. I've always had dogs, but Evie's a beauty because you've had it for so long. It's just so comfortable, you know. You just feel good at night. You've got an animal, beautiful animal downstairs that'll... Alert you, someone will wake up, you know what they're like. They hear everything. You've got to look after them, like looking after kids, looking after the animals. So they get you up and active, get you walking, get you talking. Just good to be around. The more the merrier, really. I absolutely agree, mate. Hey, I want to talk more about Evie, but firstly, I'd love to dive into your football career. Now, going all the way back to 1986, I was in that stadium at Subiaco packed grand final you won the simpson medal which is most valuable player for the game what do you remember most about that game and it's going way back mate i remember that grand final like running along bouncing it right and i love brian peak he's one of the best footy players going around right but he was older like i was 21 and a runner and that's what i used to do and he was like probably mid-30s and nearly finishing but i remember that grand final running along bouncing it, and he wouldn't have been more than oh, a meter and a half two metres behind me, and he kept going, go on, smart-ass, take another one. And I just kept going, okay, because I knew he wouldn't catch me. And he just kept yelling at me, go on, dare you, take another one. And I just kept taking it, seriously. And he's a legend, that bloke. You've been described in the media as being a dashing backman. Do you think who first wrote that might have had the hots for you? Well, you did get those lucky moments. I wish the coaches had had more of the hots for me. You know what I mean? Like, um, 
Actually, I was lucky. I, I, like I said earlier, I had a great coach. You know that first year the Eagles started, really? Subiaco and East Romano, they, they, were, they were quite clear, I thought, that year of like the best squads. And, and, and either us or them or both. Like If you put Subi in, because you were a team, it was very hard to build a team quick. So because Subi was already a ready-made team, I remember playing Hawthorne, who'd won the grand final for the VFL that year, and we were five to six goals up at half time. And then they changed the rules because they had finished a week later, so they said they were more tired than we were. But because we'd had two weeks off, obviously. And then, and uh, they changed the rule. We had to kick over the mark and not play on because we used to loop it around like these teams do now. You know, kick it straight across the ground, around the back, back, bing, ding, 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 ding. Play that West Australian on top of the ground footy. The team was that good. Seriously, well, Eagles took six and another three or four went to the East. And then the next year, the Eagles took six, and the next year, the Eagles took six, and they were still winning in the WAFL. And so were East Fremantle. They were up there too. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for a, a team, you know, the old team of champions versus the champion team, you know, team thing. We're a good team. Every bloke, every bloke was a good player. You got Peter Featherby. You got Neil Taylor that was captain and Brian Taylor. They, they, they were older and they played forever and they were guns. But then you had Peter Featherby. There's probably still to this day the best centre clearance bait you'll get. You know, he's just an unbelievable player to the end. A fantastic player coming back from Geelong. Subi, Geelong, Subi. And he played in the 73 grand final. They hadn't won one since for about 60 years you know, in between. From 60, they won 73. Then we won again in 86. So he played in both of them. So he's a bit of a jet, really, when you look at it. Laurie Keane, Dwayne Lamb, Carl Langdon played. Oh, geez, anyone I'll leave out. Toddy Bremen, you know. Uh, oh, it was just star-studded, mate. I'd, I'd, I'd let uh, Glenn O'Loughlin. A lot of them went to the Eagles. You know, Andrew McNish, uh, Greg Wilkinson. I could just go through the whole team. That, every single one of them was an absolute gun. Rod Willett, end up captain. So a lot of these guys, and then all the Kemps and the Headies and all them, they come through the next sort of year, you know. So it just kept loading up. We're lucky. All the sides have their little moment, don't they? Yeah, you have your little five or six years, and that was our time, and, you know. That's a star-studded side, mate. That's incredible. Yeah, and then you went across and then you get, you met your Ross Glendinnings and Phil Narkles. Well, it was a luxury. It was absolutely luxury to just do the whole the whole venture, you know, the whole adventure. Just to play footy, you were going to do it anyway, whether you were playing for F Troop down at Scarborough or you were playing in the country or you were playing AFL. You'd do it anyway, and it was just luxury to do it at that level and get paid and all the other stuff. But at the end of the day, it it's your sport. It was a great game. You got paid for it and it finished and it hangs around for about 15 years and you do all the other stuff you love afterwards. So it's a small part, but great to play. Do anything at the top level. Anything at the top levels. It's a luxury, really. Especially with injuries, form. You know, like it's a bit of a, you know, you turn left, you turn right. It's, it's a bit of a journey. You, you gotta be, you got to be good, but you got to be lucky too, I reckon. Not lucky, but, you know, have a go at it. Have, not be scared. Have a go at not not the game, but the the, the adventure. You know, try to keep your nose clean if you can, and yeah, try to get through it because it's very public. Obviously, you see now my poor buggers now. Well, they never had iPhones and all this stuff, and swamps of channels now. Like you know, one, there's a channel over here. It goes all day. Sen goes all day football, like all day, start to finish, twenty four hours. Like you serious? It's a different game, but it's still the great game. It's our national game. It's only played here, really. In Australia, so you know, everybody goes to see, and every everyone's got a team, even if they don't have a team, they've got a team. You know what I mean? Living in Queensland was good because they had rugby, see the rugby league, and I, I didn't know, I, I knew of the game, of course, but wow, like they love it. That's all you see in in in, in the uh, late eighties and early nineties, anyway. 
What was the decision to leave West Coast Eagles and head to the Brisbane Bears? Well, pretty much I was played at the Eagles. So I played, I think we'd played, I don't know, played 36 games there. So I'd played 36 straight games there. And that's the year before and the next year. And then had a bit of a run in with the runner and sort of fell out of favour with, uh, with, with John Todd. And then just over, bugger all, it was just ridiculous. Just went back to Subiaco for the last four games. Now, Alex Oshinko, he'd already been sort of similar situation and been sort of banished or whatever we were, you know, back to East Perth. And I, I had the same sort of thing, but with four games to go and play for Subi for the last, last ones. And then, uh, <clears throat> I think they lost that final, that first final. So I went, then I went away to Europe and Alex was away with me. I went with Alex Oshinko and, um, Michael Brennan and Adrian Barrett. We went to Europe, you know. John Gastev, Michael, uh, David O'Connell came with us sort of to the States and then we booted on for another 10 or so weeks. So as you would, as you would, you know, make the most of life. Young, you know, 24 years old. So we, we go to Europe and Alex was dealing up something with the Brisbane Bears because he'd have been out longer. You know, he was setting himself up. I had another year's contract with the Eagles, so I had no problem. So it was just a, you better go back, Mark, just cool down and we'll talk about it next year sort of thing, you know. Oh, yeah, fine, you know, good on you. And um, that's another story in itself coming out of there. That's the closest thing I got to the media. You know when you come out of the elevator and there's a million cameras and they're all taking shots and you get in your car and the guy's got the umbrella and all that? That's the closest I got to that. My God, that was hilarious. So we're in Europe and Alex was – we were actually uh, starting to join and Alex is on the phone talking to the guy from Brisbane, um, Shana Sullivan, I think it was, or one of those guys that were up there then, Andrew Island or that. And anyway – he said, you know, he's on the phone, I go, what's going on there? And he goes, I think that looks like I'm going to go to Brisbane, Brisbane Bears. And I said to him, I said, are you talking to me? I said, seriously, I was just sitting there, we were away. After about eight weeks of being away, like running the mark, and I'm going, ask him, ask him if um, they want a half-back flank. And they, he said, what do you say? He asked Mark's and he said, oh, well, leave it with us. And then the next thing I sort of got back, and they, seriously, you, it wouldn't have been three days. He said, okay. And I went, oh, boy. <laughs> haven't told mum, dad, no, it really looks like I'm going to Brisbane. Cool, Gold Coast, great. And then John Gastev came up, you know, we're born exactly the same day, same year, everything. Great, like, parents know each other. Well, he he, he came, Peter Davidson came, David Bain came, I think, that year. Um, he did, yeah. So he's a Sandover medal, double Sandover medalist, Jewel, you know, and every other medal you could win. So, um, yeah, we had this great Australian community. Brad Hardy was up there, um Rod Lester Smith had come down from Hawthorne. He was XWA. Oh, fantastic bloke too. Absolute, absolute gem. No, Ripper guy. Rod Lester Smith, yeah, Ripper. And Gun. Again, like you go from Ross Glendinning and, and like I said, Phil Narkle and these guys. And then you get up there and there's, you know, someone, he's a good player. Mike Richardson was there. He's a WA boy. Mark Leslie, who's a great mate of mine. He was there from Port Adelaide. Like, Gun side. It's just a very difficult, really hot. Again, that team versus. You know, that hardened team that you've brought guys up for over, you know, 10 years, you know, 12 years, six years. You know, you're sort of popping in there, coaches coming and going. Ended up with 10 coaches in, say I played 10 years of AFL, 10 coaches in that time. Count Hayden Button would be 11, like in, in 11 years. 11, 11 different coaches. You just get on the right side of one and then, oh, he's gone. <laughs> Another coach. He comes New in with philosophy, his philosophy right. and away you go again, you know. Wow, yeah. Tell me about the Fitzroy Football Club. You want to know a bit about down at Fitzroy? Absolutely. 
Uh, that was the best part. Even even I joke with Johnny Gastev and Martin Leslie. They still say, you lucky bugger. Now, all the boys were great, loved it. But the Fitzroy thing, um, the Brisbane Bears thing, what happened was that they, they moved to Brisbane, so from the Gold Coast. They'd moved the home ground. There was uh, 33 on the Gold Coast and four. I think it was um, Matt Campbell who does the racing now. Matt Campbell was up there. Matt Campbell, uh, Bernie Harris, uh, Michael Gibson. Anyway, they drive down. I think Bundy might have been up there. Matty Randall might have came down with them. But they drove down, so from Brisbane. It was about an hour, but, you know, things for – in those days there was only, you know, two lanes either side. So if a crate fell off or something broke down, you could be stuck for, I don't know, three hours, you know. But anyway, it used to be an hour and a clear run. So the boys had come down and trained and drive back, and they, they didn't mind that. Then all of a sudden, you could see that move coming to Brisbane, so 91, 92. So they, 92, they wanted to go to Brisbane, start playing at Brisbane. They developed the ground. And uh, so everyone had to live in Brisbane. So that was the rule. And I've got three little kids, mate, and uh, John. I've got three little kids on beautiful property, just finishing off, like, beautiful. <laughs> a couple of acres, it's just great. Roger Merritt's next door. He's got the same swimming pool, all nice. And all going to kindy and school and everything, and I've got to go to move to Brisbane. You've got to be kidding me. Like, anyway. So Roger was still going up. So I sort of went, well, there's no way, mate, I'm moving to Brisbane. I'll do that drive-up thing. I'll never be late. I've got nothing to do. Any good money. Everybody, I can be with the family all day, the girls, and get them to school and all that. And the third one on its way, on our way, Tala. And they go, no. And I get called up out of nowhere. And I just signed a three-year contract, done it myself, no problems, reasonable deal, really happy. There goes all my study down the drain. They have the cooling-off period, right? And they go, call me up, and they go, oh, mate, we've decided to, you know, trade or get rid of you. And I go, what? We go, got a contract. They go, oh, there's a cooling off period here, four weeks. I go, it's the third week. Oh, you're just into the, are you serious? I oh, mate, I've come runner-up, first, best, third, fourth. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Never late, settled. What more do you want? Like, yeah. But Roger was driving up every day. So I said, I'll just go with Roger. He, he kept doing it. He lived next door to me, mate. I know he's the captain, but he lives next door to me, drives up every day. Mate, I'm never going to be late. I'm going with Roger. <laughs> How easy is that? But anyway, they didn't like it. So I went into the draft, and I really, I had one week, man. I had one, like, like that week to just nominate. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't have a manager. So I've run, someone rang me or I rang someone and said, what do I do here? You know? And they said, oh, you're going to draft. I sort of got told over the phone how to do it. <laughs> Seriously. And I went, Okay. So I put myself in it, and, and I spoke to someone, they said, oh, I'll go to Geelong. And I thought, okay, well, Geelong would be cool, go down by the beach. So I sort of had this thing, I thought I was going to go there. Anyway, it happened, and all of a sudden, I don't know if Fitzroy rang me or someone rang me, and I said, mate, I'll go anywhere, I just want to play. So I really was anywhere. Mate, I like talking about it, because I never talk about it. It's good talking to you, Johnny, because I actually don't really talk about it. Yeah, so like, like I was saying, right, so bang, 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 Fitzroy picked me up. We've drafted you, and I'm like, oh, you're good on you. You've got to move the whole family down, like the whole thing, the whole thing. Get them in school, whole thing. Plus, have a baby down here. It's Tala, my my third youngest, well, youngest with Michelle, was was um, born in St Kilda. So, you know, like born here in Melbourne. So she was like through a term. Anyway, came down, got that sorted. John Burt, who's an absolute legend, a great John Burt, he was, he was there, and he, he let me stay down at his place at Anglesey, which was down Geelong Way. So I was driving up, and they gave us an old car. <laughs> Fitzroy, man, you're talking classic times. Like, 
But I thought, oh, whatever. You know, I just wanted to play footy, to be quite honest. And, yeah, of course you're going to earn a quid. They go, oh. so at training they said, how much you want? I said, I don't know. Don't sign on. They, yeah, you go high, but they came down to 12 grand. You go, that'll do, you know. So they scrounged around. There's a story. You can Google it and I'll. It'll be there somewhere about how they scrounged it up from the local sort of Riverside Union sort of thing. And they give me this brown paper about under my seat. Now, you know, I, I don't think it was like that. The taxation department will be onto me, but it was something like that. It was something like that. Anyway, so, so, the, so the deal was that. That's your sign-on. And then you go, well, how much a game? I go, well, if you're only going to give me that, I want X amount of game. You five grand a game. So you still, you pay 20 games to get 100 grand, right? So you go, so once you've done that deal, that means don't be injured, play every game great, don't get suspended. Play the best footy you can. And it's amazing how much better you play when you play per game rather than base. Seriously. You're not injured. You don't miss nothing. You're on time. Just because you're on the, the – how you got to play on Saturday. you got to get a game to get that large amount. You want to be in the team every week playing well, getting all that stuff that comes from everywhere. So play good. The thing is play good. And it was unreal. What, what did I, And the main thing about going to Fitzroy, which I didn't mind, and I must admit – you know, Robert Walsey wrote me a letter like after it. He said, I reckon Melbourne's ready for you. I remember that line in it. But the line was good. Like, I reckon, and I went, oh, yeah, okay. So good thing once, yep, yeah, pack up. Still got the house, rented the house out to the, the brother-in-law with his band. So, uh, yeah, pay, came down here and I think my whole life changed really when I came down to Melbourne, you know. I really do. I think um, you're more centred. Kids are little, just wanted to play footy. Worked a few different places, Italian market garden guy, just on a Sunday night just to get out of the house and on a Monday. And No, it was good. It was really good. Melbourne's a great town. I live here now. That's why I've been here 10 years because I always said I'd come back here. It's, it's unreal. Let's talk about dogs. Did you have dogs when you were growing up in Scarborough? Yeah, her dad was, was an Italian old man, of course, and you know, built a house down in Scarborough Beach there. So our first dog was a Labrador. He was called Nero. And he he got to about three or four, and I think we kept jumping the fence and carrying on, and he just disappeared one day, old Nero, the black Labrador. He went up to my Uncle John's, I think. I'm not sure what happened to him. And then we got a little a little Australian terrier called Sheba. You see the Italian-Roman thing theme running through there, can't you? Nero, Sheba. So she lasted for about, oh, gosh, she had a great knock. She's 19. She was around the house. And then they got another dog, and I went up to Queensland. I got a husky. I had him. For about five years till I moved to Melbourne and ended up sending him up into the snow, actually, just to pull sleds and that. Someone wanted him because um, they're a pretty energetic dog. He loved doing what he wanted to do. So, yeah, no, it was good. And now and now we've got Evie, the beagle. Yeah, she's a beauty. She's 12, 12 or so now. She's going well. Lost two cats in the last couple of years, which was sad. Now, beautiful three-legged cat, um, Joffa, she... Uh, she passed away, and she was probably 19. Yeah, three legs for about, oh, good good three or four years, five years. Really adapted. Geez, they're amazing animals. But she was a beauty. She really adapted to um, the three legs. I, I, was, I was amazing. Uh, great, great. I'd never had cats before. And, uh, ten, well, when I got here, they had the cats. They were little, so they're both the same. I couldn't tell the difference between them. They're both brindles. They're beautiful cats. Yeah, they may they patrol the house in their area. Fascinating animals to watch. I could sit and watch them for hours. They're unreal. And Evie, she just cruises around with the cats. And now only got Evie. That's all we got left is Evie girl. So just get the family right, mate. And um, yeah, hopefully she she'll kick on for a while. <laughs> 
well, I met Sandra probably 10 years ago, so they, I think Evie would have been about two. He was part of Liam and, and Alana's pet brigade, two cats and then the dog, and then, yeah, I suppose 10 years with the dog, mate. You get to know each other. She's a good dog. From all the dogs I've had, by far she's the most sensible and just gets the drift, you know. But maybe that's me too. <laughs> so, um, nah, she's a ripper, Evie. Yeah, you miss them when they go, mate. It's no good. talk about your love for music is this a journey that started at childhood nana played piano so mum and nana you know net pop wasn't around he died young so it was mum and sort of nana though the musical once dad you know knew old solomio that he might chuck out that one line in the shower and that was about it but mum mum played piano and then my sister did and uh, every time we were around Nana's, she played in a band till she was about 85, I reckon, still in a band going around places with a trumpet player and the piano accordion, mandolin. No, the place was just decorous. So every time I went over there from probably, you know, as soon as you could walk, Nana was on the piano. So you sat there. So, yeah, she uh, she would play the piano and we'd stand next to her and sing and sing. And so we were never really afraid. You didn't have much choice, you know what I mean? So that sort of went on to right up to, I remember finishing an Eagles game, just to tie it back in a little bit, finishing a game and mum said, oh, we'll pop in and see Nana. She was get, getting on then. And uh, she'd come to the footy, sit up against the fence, a little rugged up with a beanie. She was a classic, mate. So she we go in there and uh, she goes, oh, come on, Mark. Before Hi, Mark. How are you? you know, good to see you. Well done today. You know, no, no. She's real frail. She sits on the piano. Come on, come on. Sing us a song. And she starts playing When the Saints Come Marching In, because that was just a classic era song that we used to always do, you know. And we'd been rolled by the Saints that afternoon. I'm in Eagles gear with the top, and I'm singing When the Saints Come Marching In. She started off with Edelweiss, and it got into the Saints Come Marching In. I thought, I don't know if she's having a lend to me or not. We really went through that. And then after that, look, honestly, Dad, Dad wouldn't have listened. You don't know. He doesn't listen to music. He's not like he'd ever put a record on or know how to do it, you know. But mum, mum would have a, you know, the, the old uh, stereograms. We had these nice wooden, you know, the long, flat wooden stereograms. They opened up well, like a table, beautiful piece of furniture. And she'd have Barbara Streisand and a bit of Charles Aznavour and so um, Charlie Pride, a bit of everything. So I'd listen to them because, you know, it wasn't like now, right, that you just download. You had to buy a record. You know, I was little, you know. So... I listened to a lot of old music, a lot of that, a lot of that sort of stuff. And then, I, then going to Subi, I remember Subi had a, you know, getting into not being a. It wasn't really that you're a singer; it's just we're not afraid to do it. And when I got to Subi, I remember one night, one guy uh, Clooney was doing a magician thing, and he had a tuxedo on, and he, well, it's a long story, but he ended up dislocating his shoulder trying to do something. So there was a bit of a gap in an act, so that I took, I put his tuxedo on to fill a gap. And just sang three Charles Anthony songs with no music in front of a big crowd for CB, like the whole club filled on the players of your night, you know, and not a problem. Then we're clapping, you know, I go, yeah, not a problem. But, and I was, I would have been about 18, 19. So not really a fr- back yourself. I think everyone should. You just back yourself. 
and worked out all right. And then all the boys sort of laugh a bit, but they go, not bad, mate. Well, who's this young bloke? So did it all through everywhere with anyone I met that at any club had a guitar. I was always sitting around playing, mucking around with them and then played a little bit myself. And then luckily, again, came down to Melbourne with that Fitzroy move and met James Manson. Once I met James Manson and joined his band, and made, you know, our band, now we write together and produce. Mate, we, we've got an album coming out probably, well, it was supposed to be before COVID, but that blew things out a bit. But so there's lots of songs. We could do it as an album or we could do release 40 songs. It depends how you do it. But we've put a lot of work in and things are starting to happen now. So it takes time when you're both really busy. Like, you you know, I've got a family and Jim's got a family and we were all really busy with work and other careers. But it was great to come down to Melbourne and actually go, right, I'm going to make a commitment here, Jimmy. I'm coming here, mate, every Tuesday or every Wednesday and every Saturday morning or Sunday morning, twice a week. We're doing hours. Yeah, he plays nearly every instrument, Jimmy. Jimmy plays brilliant electric guitar, but everything else, piano, it doesn't matter. He'll pick it up. He just picks it up and works it out, you know. So lucky to have a great partner in music. So met some of the most amazing people through Melbourne, artists, joined in, jammed, just stay in the scene just fantastic people. That's the thing I love about Melbourne and making a commitment to do it. If you're going to have a crack at something, you've got to have a bit of a crack at it. So music never stopped. I just think about it all the time. You know, and, and that recent song that I've released, that, that was even a different adventure, who was with, with James's first drummer, Mark Stanley. the song bad news of um, Sandra's illness and she's getting chemo now and everything's going fine but um, yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rude awakening you know when you hear that news you, you always wonder just got to go through all the all the chemo and all the all the treatments and you know but uh, it, it makes you think about what's important that's for sure even from from not just your kids and your family and the loved ones but and your pets, of course, but just even yourself, because you'd be here one minute and gone the next. So it's a bit of a, a wake up call, that's for sure. Not not that not that you really change anything, but it makes you it makes you think, mate. Nothing worth worrying about things, you know. I think I wrote on the on the uh, dialogue before the song there um, on the Bandcamp intro that um, you know when you first get the news, it rips your heart out. And then once you have those three, four days, you know, five, working it all out, it's just straight into action. That's all you can do. It's just, a, it's just a real surprise, you know. There's a lot of unknown. The worst thing about the whole thing, other than, of course, how dangerous it is, the uncertainty. Wow, makes you think, man. Makes you think. See, I know I had, I had five daughters. I lost a daughter when I was in London through sudden infant death, and it was like dramatic, it was instant. It, I don't know, there's no illness, or I suppose it's like someone who gets killed in a crash, or that sudden bang, there's no coming back. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. It's really bad. Dad passed a couple of years ago, but you knew he'd had a full life, like you, and you could see him getting sicker and sicker. You're prepared a bit. But this is really different again. So I don't know, mate. It's, um, you never know what's around the corner, do you?
a lot of people always ask you, who do you take to the prom, you know, when you're school prom, remember that, or whatever it was called, school dance or whatever. The girl I took, her boyfriend was a year older. He was captain of the footy team. But he was a year older of the and um and great great friends to this day, me and her. And um her husband was a legend, great bloke. And he went into the police force and he was a gun and he wanted to go into the SAS or whatever the level up was. And he started training, he was thirty two, he was about six foot six, fit as an ox. And he had a little dot on his leg. Little like a like a dot. And anyway, while he was doing the training he got a bit ill. Mate, honestly, I think he was gone within twelve months. At 32, two beautiful boys. Yeah, and it was like, wow, like, wow. Now, I know things are a long way, but the melanomas, the, the, I think it must have been a melanoma. I don't really know what it was, but it was, yeah, and you're going, I'm going back. She was probably 30 years. The treatments have got better, but it just shows you, you just, you can be as healthy as anything, you know, and bang, out of nowhere. And most people listening would have someone that, they're definitely their parents or, or a sister or a brother or somebody. He's come across tragedy in one way or the other. And, um, yeah, it's really, um, in a strange way, it makes you know that you're alive. <laughs> you have got things to do and make every post a winner. So many people waste, look, and I've done it too, you waste time, but you may as well make the most of it, don't you think? Because it could go any moment, you know? It makes you pretty fragile. Tell me about the creation of your song, She Is Love. But I, the, originally, I just went up there to um, to master the last little bit of our stuff and uh, just turned into that Jim didn't rock up and I wrote that song for Sandra, you know. But I'd, had a, I'd always had a song. I just had never produced it. I just went up there and sang the song, like without any music. I said, yeah, get some microphone. That's how I always do it. Ooh, she's not that good, she says. I'm out of touch. I've only had one man beat me up. Ooh, she's love. Ooh, in every way. They recorded. He goes, geez, that's fantastic. Julie was there, and she said, so I just started playing with it. Do it again. Started playing the keys. Mark works out the drums. This is fantastic. A few glasses of wine. Continue through the night, and then we put it away to work on later. And then this things happened with them. Um, Sandra's diagnosed, and that's when they set the island. How did the collaboration begin with these amazing Irish musicians? So Mark went to Ireland and played with the Mary Janes and drummed also for the Frames. The, the Frames won five Grammy Awards. That's off one album. Probably won 14 or something by now. They're always they're brilliant Irish band. And so is the Mary Janes. And so was the piano player that jumped on it that, that writes and plays for Sam Smith. They're just sort of all the people that he'd worked with for the last 10 years over there. He's, he's probably been back 10, but he, they still go back and forward all the time. He said stuff there all the time. It's just the boys just jumped on this, put everything down, and just went, wow, that's fantastic, because they're all married and got wives and girlfriends and kids. And they've all got a beautiful woman that they love and adore in their life, Some someone, or oh, man. And they know that when they're in trouble and you can't do much about it, it it, it makes you a bit lost and, and sad. So they picked up on that and wrote their individual part. And, uh, like, it's ridiculous, really, to have these guys on your first re- song, really, your know, first release. Really lucky there. But they were happy with what they heard too. You know, they said, well, that guy's cool. You know, they were, they were good. They were good when they heard what we sent them. So, yeah, it worked out really well and, and hopefully do a lot more with them. Robbie, Robbie, who played the guitar, Jimmy did the 
the video. James normally plays on most of the stuff we do. But it happened that quick that everyone just went, yeah, great song, love it. And they all, put it this way, not too many rock and roll and hard. You don't write a love song very often. You, know, you, you think about it. Yeah, everyone's got their music flying through. But it, rock music and the love song is always a good one. So compared to what we do with Johnny Blackhorse and my band with Jimmy. But they're the ones that I do. Like I said, I was always a crooner. I love Frank and you know, George Benson and the jazz and that crooner style, you know. But you don't get to do that very often, you know. So unless you got a, you need violins, you need bass, you need a double bass, you need you need certain things to get that coolness through. You can be on guitar, acoustic, but you still need that, you know, that background, you know, the harps, the violins that break your heart. Yeah, they they make you move that music. That's what turns you, you know. Or you just need that fill, you know, like when you see even a rock band of full Rolling Stones, but they put a a full orchestra or a 35-piece orchestra behind it. My God, the, the, that other sound you get, you know, that mood, that beautiful of all those all those instruments mean something, you know, and that's really clever. And especially at that time, like now, now that I understand what's going on with the chemo and the plan and all that, um, you know, probably even a month or two into it, well, we'd just finished it and then that happened and then it went to Ireland and was back within two weeks. She's not that good, she says. I'm out of touch. I've only had one man. He beat me up. She is love. In every way, she is love. What more can I say? find something that you love doing like what you're doing and what Sandra's doing and what I'm doing and look it's not all about money mate it's about being happy and friends and conversations and laughter and you know the song she is love by mark and the amazing artist who collaborated to make it happen is available for purchase at marksonotti.bandcamp.com i'll include the link to the song in the episode notes on your listening app By purchasing this song, you not only get to enjoy beautiful music, but also contribute to a great cause. All proceeds from the sale of She Is Love go towards cancer research, supporting Sandra and others who are fighting this battle. Together we can help make a positive impact on cancer research.